Welcome to Dog Save the People, a show about how dogs make our lives better. My name is John Bartlett, and I'm your host. Lynn Cox is an open water swimmer who had already swum the English Channel twice by the age of 17 and has since logged over 50,000 miles in the water. She set numerous records and has been inducted into the International Swimming Hall of Fame. And when she found out about the idea of water rescue dogs, she had to learn more. These specially trained dogs are able to save people in dangerous situations around sea, land, and air rescue. These dogs literally are acting like lifeguards, patrolling beaches along with their human guardians. And when Lynn spent time at the training school in Italy, she learned all about how these dogs are trained to help humans in such an important way. And Lynn was so inspired that she even wrote a book about an amazing dog named Al, who she met during her trip. Lynn, thank you so much for joining us today on Dog Save the People. I'm thrilled to have you. You have such an interesting background. Thanks so much, John. I'm really happy to be here with you today. So Lynn, for our listeners, can you tell me a little bit about your career, about swimming basically, and and everything that you've accomplished? I've done a lot of open water swimming. I started when I was 15 and did the English Channel and broke the world record for men and women. Then my time was broken, so I went back and broke the record again. And then I started doing things that no woman had ever done, like hook straight between the North and South Island of New Zealand, and then went on to do swims that nobody had ever tried, the Strait of Magellan, the Cape of Good Hope, and eventually the Bering Strait, which was about opening the border between the U.S. and Soviet Union. Wow. Did you grow up as a swimmer? Like, how did you get into this field? I mean, it's so, it's incredibly impressive. My parents were afraid that my brother and sisters and I would drown. Uh-huh. And so when we were little kids, we went to this place called Snow Pond near Waterville, Maine. Okay. And my parents started to teach us how to swim. So that was the beginning of our family involvement in swimming. And then eventually I learned to swim. They took us to the Y in Manchester, New Hampshire. We trained there every day, loved it, especially in the wintertime. When everything outside was frozen, you could go into a tropical environment yes. <laughs> and it would feel like summer. My parents saw that there was potential and they asked us, do we want to move to California, Arizona, or Hawaii? Because they were tired of the cold New England winters. So we decided on California. And the first day we arrived in Long Beach, California, we went to the Belmont Plaza pool, which at that time was the state of the art pool that had been built for Olympic trials in 1968. And so it was like coming to a field of dreams where you could just see this massive indoor pool with beautiful clear water. And you knew that the next day you're going to start swimming, not just with age group swimmers, but there would be some of the best swimmers in the entire world that were training under Don Gambrell, who was, he'd become a four-time Olympic coach. So it was incredible to have that opportunity. Oh, Lynn, that's incredible. I'm actually a springboard diver and a platform diver. Oh, my God. So I had the opportunity to travel all around the country and through college. That's amazing. And yeah, I have so much admiration for you being a diver because that sport is so hard. I mean, you just watch the, the athletes, the divers going off the board and doing a great flip. And then trying to do something more difficult and suddenly they splat yes. in the water and you're just, and you hear the thud across the pool and you just think, oh, that had to hurt. And then you get up yes. and do it again. It's just <laughs> amazing. 
So, Lynn, you set, again, open water swimming records, and you were inducted into the International Swimming Hall of Fame. Congratulations. Thank you very much. And are you still swimming today? All my life, I will be swimming. It's just part of what I do. That's so beautiful. So let's talk about dogs and swimming. And I'm so curious. I know that you've got a book out called Tales of Owl, which we will speak about. But I wanted to ask you, how was this introduced to you, this whole world of water rescue dogs? I had no idea about it either. And I was intrigued because I love swimming. I love the water. I love dogs. As a kid, I swam with dogs that were part of the family. Neighbors' dogs now swim with me. A friend told me about these Newfoundlands that would leap out of helicopters into the water. And also the other breeds of dogs, the Goldens, the Labs, the German Shepherds, they would leap from helicopters and then swim over to people. And then our owners would follow them. But I just thought, okay, back to your diving. I went off the 10 meter platform once and landed wrong and decided that's the last time I'm doing that. Yes. And I thought the dogs are leaping from around that height. Yes. Maybe a little bit lower. So if they land wrong, they get hurt. I yes. mean, it must hurt. Or how do they right. not get hurt? And how do they train for that? And how come they're not afraid? Beyond that, they were using their dogs as lifeguards. And I have so much respect for people that are putting themselves in harm's way to make sure other people are safe. And so I thought, you know, I really need to find out more about this because there's got to be some really amazing skill sets that are developed and trained and learned by the dogs, but also with the owners. So I started doing research on it. And the school that you found is one in Italy. Right. It's the Scuola Italiana Carne Sabotaggio. And you spent time there. I spent time with the instructors and the owners and the dogs, watching them train to become water rescue dogs. And it was absolutely fascinating because you throw a ball into the water and the dog will fetch it. Well, for this, the skill sets were so much more. So for instance, I was allowed to go into the water and be rescued by Moss, who was the star of the whole program. She had rescued at least 100 people over the course of her lifetime as a water rescue dog. So I was instructed to swim offshore about 50 yards. So I swam offshore and treaded water. And then her owner, Ferruccio Pelega, who was the owner of the school, who came up with the idea for it, released Mass, and she immediately swam out to me. She circled me, but not really closely. Then she circled me again and presented her harness with a handhold on it. The harness has flotation in it. So when I held on to it, it just sort of lifted me up. And I thought, you know, I can't believe that she can swim so fast dragging me. She was just amazing. Within, I'd say, 35 seconds, she had swum 25 yards. And so I found out afterwards, the reason why the dog circled me first was because she thought that I might be afraid of her. Yes. There are people that are terrified of dogs. There are people that culturally are told not to get near dogs. So the dogs are taught to look at you, watch you, respond to you, and if you're not afraid, then to come in close and let you grab onto the handle. Oh, boy. How do they train for something like this? They are training constantly for this. It's progression, probably like when you're learning a dive. You know, you don't learn how to do a triple somersault all at (laughs) once, right? Right. You build up on it. So there was a sequence, and the sequence really started with, They work with puppies. 
then they teach them to swim. And the way they teach them to swim is totally supportive. They hold on to them. They give them reassurance. They make sure their head doesn't go under the water. They gradually release their support so the dog or the puppy is beginning to gain more strength and able to do it. And then they have the dog swim between the two owners. So they start off with just the swimming and then proceed from there to figuring out how to have a dog being signaled by somebody in the water splashing. And then they go out to do that. The other thing they do that I thought was fascinating is they don't have toys for the dogs. I was told that they have to make themselves more exciting than the toy so that the bond that develops between their dogs and themselves is really strong. So the dog pays total attention to them. I would never have thought of any of these things. I thought, you know, after you finish your training, you get just to go have fun and throw the ball and swim with them and all that. And they're like, no, we are the tennis balls. That's fascinating. It's actually one of my questions was, what do rescue dogs do off duty? So I guess they're not playing with toys. Well, after these training sessions and some of the more advanced dogs, not necessarily the older dogs, but they had younger dogs that were really physical and strong, just like people, where you can have great swimmers that excel at young ages. Those dogs would put in more sprinting and more endurance training. And actually, there was one Newfoundland I heard of that could swim up to a mile with her owner. The owners, though, had to be in terrific shape as well. And they also had to be trained as lifeguards. Because when they were patrolling, the dog and the owner would spot somebody in trouble and they would both go out to rescue the person. And so I really thought that they had figured out how to do this in a way that was extremely safe. And I think that was part of the school, but also they work in conjunction with the Italian Coast Guard, Costiera Guardia, and also with the Italian Air Force. So there are certain procedures that they go through to be connected with them and certain tests that they must succeed at. And if they don't succeed, they don't get to participate. So there's this constant training that goes on in the Coast Guard and in the Air Force. There's this constant training that goes along with the lifeguard dogs and their lifeguard owners. And what I really wanted to write about was this connection that develops, this huge commitment, but also that people do it voluntarily. They spend their time, their money, their energy working with the dogs, which is really great for the dog and for their human because there's this connection. But then they patrol the beaches together all over Italy and also go to Germany and Switzerland and make it safer. And I was asked a while ago, you know, why do you need dogs on the beach? Makes no sense. You already have a professional lifeguard there. Right. Well, on really crowded beaches, how much can a lifeguard see? But also when you have the two eyes of the dog and two eyes of another human, they can catch stuff in advance. And actually they're often involved in preventing a drowning or preventing a bad experience for some swimmer. And if you're in Italy, people all over the country recognize the dogs. Also all throughout Europe, they're known as water rescue dogs. But here in the United States, there are people that are training dogs to become water rescue dogs and also in Canada. I never knew this before. And they're, the way they're testing them is different. And what they have to do for their training is different than what I saw in Italy. But the, still, it's the same sense of, if there's a problem, I want my dog to be able to go in and save someone. So Lynn, the dogs that you experienced are Newfoundlands, German Shepherds, Golden Retrievers, mostly? And Labradors. And Labradors. Then Leonburgers. I've okay. never seen a Leonburger before. 
They were bred because there's a place in Germany called Leonberg, and they decided they needed a dog that looked like a lion to be their mascot. So they're as big as Newfoundlands, but a little bit more rangy and a little bit longer and a little bit longer legged. They're massive dogs. So I met them, and I also met Italian Spanoni. I love dogs, so it was a great experience to learn about new dogs and about the breeds and about their temperaments. And to see how they all related to each other and work together as a team. So the other part though, is that a Newfoundland can pull up to six people at a time. And the Labradors that are training there and the Golden Retrievers and the German Shepherds and the Leonbergers can pull in two to three people at a time. So it just increases. And, and actually it makes a whole lot of sense. And sort of the whole thing was tested recently, last year, because there were 14 kids on rubber inflatable rafts that had been pulled offshore by a current. And there was a mom out there who started waving towards shore. And there were two Labradors and their owners who saw what was going on. And they wound up going out and pulling in all 14 kids. Unbelievable. It was great. I mean, and so what they're doing is not just for show. It's, it's no. for real. The idea of thinking about a Newfoundland who's a big dog rescuing six people. I mean, that is incredible. And so I'm going to have to do some research and, and look for some videos on this because this sounds unbelievable. You can go online and just look at Italian water rescue dogs. And okay. that's what got my intention. That's why I wound up writing this book. So tell me about Al. This is the dog that you wrote about in your book. She was a two-year-old chocolate brown Newfoundland with golden yellow eyes. Mm. And she was so exquisite. I had never seen a dog like that before. She had the Newfoundland fur, the, the thick inner coat, and then the yes. long, fluffy outer coat. Yes. She was meticulously groomed by Donatella Pasquale, who was the vice president and still is vice president of the school in Italy. And she was so exuberant and excited about everything. Because of that, she was extremely difficult to teach which was huge frustration for Donatella because she was known as the dog whisperer. She could right. work with any dog. She could work with any owner or instructor and help them figure out what it was they needed to do to be able to get the dog to improve or get the owner to improve. So here she had this dog who was kind of a delinquent. And I had just been invited to go meet with them and watch her training with Al to see how she progressed through this training. And often by the time a Newfoundland is two years old, they've really understood, I'm a water rescue dog and I wanna be there and I wanna do this. But right. Al wasn't getting it, at least on certain levels. The thing that happened was at the time I met Al and Donatella, Al was going to be tested by the Italian Coast Guard to see if she could do certain things to be allowed to go out on the Italian Coast Guard boat along with Donatella to patrol the beaches off of Italy. And so I watched Donatella working with Al and saw that Al was having a hard time. And what they tried to do was to have Mass, the star athlete and rescue swimmer, to help teach Al. Problem was, was that Al was over exuberant on land and she was in the water as well. So I don't want to tell you the whole story, 
but there are magical changes that occur within this story where it's not just an understanding of what Al needs to do. It's an understanding of what Donna Tala needed to recognize about the innate ability of Al and how she saw things nobody else saw. A realization that not all of us are the same, not all of us train the same way, not all of us have the same outcome. We are all designed differently and have different ways of approaching things. And sometimes that leads us to a new place. So Lynn, it's so interesting because many of our guests on the show have talked about how their dogs have in many ways impacted their life in a spiritual way, emotional way. But in this case, in your story, the dogs are literally saving people. Why do you think dogs are so crucial in aiding in this work? I think that dogs for many people are messengers of joy. That when you're around a dog, you just feel happy. So if you're seeing somebody in a panic situation who absolutely loves dogs, the dog coming out to rescue a person has to make them feel like, oh my gosh, what is this? You know, is this magic? Is this something else? And so, you know, the person happily grabs onto the handhold on the harness. There's a poem by Mary Oliver that I added in the book about how the dog increases your joy. And that's exactly what happens. I'm so glad that you brought up, because I was looking at your book today and the fact that you opened the book with Mary Oliver's quote from her poem, because of the dog's joyfulness, our own is increased. It is no small gift. And that is like the basis of, I think, of so much of our relationships with dogs. And I'm so glad you put that in your book. That's a very powerful and beautiful quote. And I love her. I love her poems. I love her poems. She writes so much about dogs. She writes so much about nature. She's just such a beautiful poet. And I can't get enough of her. So when I came across that, I just thought, this is the essence of what the story is about. And, And our connection and love, affection for dogs, and theirs for us. I mean, there's never a better partnership other than you're the person you love in your life. But right. often the person you love in your life is your dog. <laughs> yes. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So, Lynn, where can we find your new book, Tales of Al? And where can we find you online or on social media? So you can go to www.lynnecox.com. And that has all the background on the book and on my other books. Great. And you can also go on Facebook because I'm on Facebook all the time. And find me that way. That's probably the best ways to connect. Lynn, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. It was such fun. Thank you. Thanks. I was so inspired speaking with Lynn about the water rescue dogs. It's such an incredible visual for me to think about a dog being able to carry to safety three or four people at once. What an amazing, amazing type of work for both the human and for their beautiful dog. And I'm glad that this is starting to become more popular and that more dogs are being trained in America and in Canada and do this kind of supplement lifeguard patrol. Because like in Europe, so many more lives could be saved and the dogs as well could have such a fulfilling life. And I'm so grateful to Lynn for teaching more of us about this incredible type of work. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. This show is made by As It Should Be, a production company and content studio. It is made with the support of Scott Benaglio, 
executive producer, and Jack Summer, our producer and editor. And special thanks to Daniel Lampert, our neighbor and composer, for creating the music for the show. You can follow Dog Save the People on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow our show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. To sign up for our monthly email newsletter, you can go to dogsavethepeople.com. On the website, you'll also be able to find merch in our new online gift shop. This includes shirts from the Tiny Tim Rescue Fund, my foundation, where profits go to supporting independent rescues and shelters. If you have any questions or submissions, please drop a note to the email address bark at dogsavethepeople.com. Enjoy a walk with your dog outside and make it a great day for both of you. Thank you.